The Welsh Wire, where talent and business connect in West Michigan. The Welsh Wire features moderator Mike Rogers and professional recruiting expert Sherry Welsh in this weekly podcast. Listen in as leaders from a wide array of small to mid-sized West Michigan companies weigh in and share their experiences and insights on a variety of business topics, including employee retention challenges and recruitment success stories. Hi, this is Mike Rogers with another great Welsh Wire conversation. Now, here's Sherry Welsh. We're here today with our co-produced show with our friends at the Family Business Alliance in Grand Rapids. And today our guest is Kyle Cunnan. Kyle is the Senior Vice President and Information Security Officer at Mercantile Bank in Grand Rapids. Kyle, welcome to the Welsh Wire. Thank you for having me. You're a security expert. Um, and you've got a lot of things to tell us about cybersecurity and bad actors and how they're tricking businesses. But there's one main issue that you're going to tell us about in particular, and I can't wait to hear you uh, describe this and, and tell us what we need to know. But before we get into that topic, tell us a little bit about you, how you came to this role, and, and how you came into doing what you do at Mercantile. Yeah, sure. So in uh, 1993, I graduated from college. So yeah, I'm dating myself a little <laughs> bit there. Uh, but it's important to, you know, what we're talking about today. Um, from from starting in the, the banking industry in 93, um, I held a lot of different roles uh, over the years from data processing, networking, um, disaster recovery, business continuity, vendor management, and uh, for the past 18 years, uh, information security uh, has been that primary primary focus for me. Okay. But, you know, as I look back, you know, going back to that start in 1993, um, the internet was really not what we think of it today. I mean, there was hardly no. anything at all. When I started in banking, uh, we weren't connected to the outside world. Right. Really. I mean, there were right. some dial-up to send, you know, information out, but it wasn't like the the internet. We didn't have firewalls. We didn't have that sort of thing. Right. Information and, security was not a thing. You assumed your information was secure because it's all held on these fantastic computers that nobody except a handful of people had access yeah, to. It was and, all within your four walls. Yeah. Right? And the biggest risk was if you didn't change a password when John resigned. Maybe right. that would be right. the biggest right. risk, right? right. I and mean, they got was, back into your building, and then and they got back into the physically into the building, right? right. I mean, it's right. so different. We, you know, like you say, back in 1993, we didn't talk about security in right. colleges and an IT program. It's really it's not just, that long ago. No, it's <laughs> really right. It. And so here we are today talking about serious issues, and you're going to tell us there that there is a number one overarching issue in cybersecurity that you see impacting banking customers, financial institution customers these days. What is that? Tell us about that. Yeah. yeah I, I appreciate you you adding that little tidbit about uh, financial institutions, because really this is all about the businesses and less about, is it banking or credit union? It's it's the financial institutions. Yeah. Uh, we're, all, we're all in this together, mm-hmm. um, cu- our customers um, and, and us, but really the business is the one who's who's uh, being attacked. And if I would, at a high level, uh, I would call it fraud. Um, more specifically, it's communication fraud, uh, to where they're receiving communications that are fraudulent and then doing things that they later wish they hadn't. Right, right. So 
give us some specifics. What do you mean when you say fraudulent communication? I'm assuming it's, it includes email, but probably a lot of other things as well. Yeah, it really could um, come in, in multiple forms, and it does come in multiple multiple forms. Um, you know, text, uh, SMS text, sometimes you can get a, a text that is trying to mimic or look like it's from your financial institution and get you to do things or give up information that allows then the bad guys to further their um, what they're trying to do, which uh, ultimately ends up always trying to get money. Right. Mm, that's that's right. really what motivates them for the most part is getting getting at the money. And sometimes data can be used for that money. Um, but yeah, like you said, too, it's it isn't just a technology issue. It can also come in via regular mail. Uh, so you, you'll hear later and you got to apply what we talk about even to just uh, communication that comes via uh, regular mail. But yes, today we're going to focus primarily on those fraudulent communications that are email in nature. Right. Interesting. I received one of those in my office just within the last week. One of my team members in the office said, look at this email that I just got that looked as if it were coming from me, except when you looked at the email address, it wasn't my email address at all, but it made it look as if it were coming from me, asking her to do something that she knew better, Right. Um, but she forwarded it to me. So yeah, it's it's happening all the time. So do you have some examples too of some of the schemes like that, that uh, these fraudsters kind of take. Right, right, exactly. So a scheme that would work with what the example that you just gave that your um, coworker provided to you that it looked like it was coming from you. We've we've seen examples of where um, it could be something as simple as, say, using your example, right? You're out of the office um, and this email comes in and it's not from you, but it's made to look like it's from you, right? And so they're spoofing it um, and trying to get the person internally to act on something, thinking that it's you. And so one scenario that we've seen is where they'll ask for uh, the person to go out and buy, say, $1,000 of um, gift cards. Mm. And then when they come back in, if they get them to do it, they'll ask them to scratch off the back, you know, get the code and provide them the code so that they can, you know, put the cards to use right away. But it's under the guise of, you know, this is a surprise for the the staff. Don't let anybody know, but I need your help because I forgot to do it, ran out of time. You know, all these things that social, social engineering 101, right, that they right. try to get you to do something that you shouldn't. Right, right, absolutely. Um and then you talk about a second scenario too, but there isn't that dialogue component to it. It's a little bit different where you get an email from someone with an uh, invoice. Right, right. Attached. So this would be, you know, more of communications that you have regularly, maybe with uh, another a business that you do work with, and, and they send you an invoice. You trust, um, so right? So it's, it's your it's your vendor. Um, and the email looks like it's coming from them. And, and sometimes we've seen that it actually truly is coming from them. It's it's really coming from their mail system. It's not like the first example where it's spoofed or maybe it's uh, a lookalike domain or something like that. Yeah. Uh, it legitimately is coming from that person's mail system from their inbox, but it's uh, somebody else sending that that information. And then what is attached, right? It's the the invoice that says, "Hey, we changed our bank account information. You know, when you pay the invoice, please, uh, you know, make this change in your accounts payable system and pay us here." 
And, uh, you know, some time goes by and next thing you know, the vendor calls up and says, hey, you know, when are you going to pay invoice one, two, three, four? And they're like, we paid that a month ago. And they're like, no, you didn't. And then that's when the investigation happens and then starts. come to realize that uh, the the communication was the fraudulent piece. Right, right. So how big is this problem? Listeners might be saying, well, that's never happened to me. I've never even heard of anyone that's happened to, but how how big of a problem do you think this really is, Kyle? You know, because you've dealt with it. Well, um, it, it is something that's being tracked by the FBI, and um, it definitely is becoming uh, very much uh, a, a quietly growing cost uh, for organizations and uh, the all across and around the globe, billions of dollars every year. And according to the FBI, uh, in their July 2018 report, a little dated here, but losses due to businesses um, for this business email compromise, the example like we just uh, talked about, mm-hmm. uh, accounts for uh, the scams are reaching $12.5 billion worldwide. Whoa. Yeah, that's a B with in billion, 12.5. Yeah. And it's not stopping there. You know, it's it's no. continuing to grow. Well, so they, 2019 evolve. is going to be worse than that. Of course. They evolve their tactics and their methods and, you know, we fall for it in other ways. Yeah, that's staggering. So if we haven't experienced it yet or someone that we know hasn't experienced it, strap in because it's it's probably going to happen to mm-hmm. you. Um, but, but what if it does happen to me in my business? Uh, what do we do? What's the first call we need to make? Yeah, great question. And the first call I would say is to your financial institution. Okay. You know, call them immediately. Time is of the essence. And if it's not an example like like we were just talking about where it might be a month that's gone by, that's probably very unlikely. Yeah, it's, it's not going to come back, yeah. but it's still call your institution right away and they can start trying to get that uh, transaction stopped and reversed and um, hopefully get your money back. Yeah. So, and the bigger question, if we go up 10,000 feet, right, is how do I stop this from happening? What kind of things can businesses put in place to prevent this from yeah. happening? And it is preventable. Um, and that that's why I get so passionate about this topic, because yeah. um, it just involves changing um, some procedures and, and getting away from the fact that a lot of us grew up since 1993 with email <laughs> and earlier. when it came from somebody, uh, the email was from them. There was right. no reason to believe that it wasn't right. from them. And now you have to be suspicious of every email that comes into your organization. And so, you know, one thing with this uh, scenario, like the invoice or, or any of these other things, um, we need to... Uh, not allow the email to be the beginning and the end of that process. It can maybe start the process, but if you say in this example, get an, uh, an invoice that says, let's change instructions that um, we've always done business with this company, and now they're asking us to change it. That's a risky time uh, in payment processing. And so take the moment, a time to pick up the phone calling using the information that you already have, not what's in the email, because that might be going to the fraudsters too, Mm -hmm. Uh, and call the organization and ask them if it's legitimate. And if it is, ask them to repeat what the, uh, you know, what the information is, what the correct information is. Because we've seen it where uh, both parties knew that there was a change coming, that the, the entity was changing bank accounts. And when they got the email, they asked if it was legitimate, they called, and they said, yep, that that's the one, but they didn't verify 
that the information was correct. And so the bad guy still got in the middle of that and had changed it. That's how sneaky this is. Wow. Um, and so uh, definitely ask to verify what the information is, you know, that has changed. Right. That it is accurate to what you received. And then go ahead and make those uh, changes. Right. Right. Wow. So um, are there any tools that you can use as a business to protect against fraud? Is yeah. there anything software or anything that training? Tell us. Yeah, yeah. there's a there's a few um, different things that businesses can do. Um, one uh, related to the payment processing piece, whether you're sending out wires or ACH, okay. uh, would be to set up uh, dual control. And dual control is always known as one of the best ways to f- combat fraud, uh, internal fraud or external fraud. Right. It's just a and good procedure to it's, It is written in, in procedures. So yep. in this case, it would be one person would be able to initiate the payment so, you know, set up and, and initiate the ACH transaction mm-hmm. or transactions or the or the wire. But somebody else independently would have to log into the online banking system and then approve and send that. So that way you got two parties who are, you know, and hopefully in a situation like this might say, hey, you know, why why did we do this? Why right. did we make this change? Or why are we paying this vendor? I've never heard of them before. You know, those situations happen too, where the CEO is gone and, and we've got this billion dollar deal and we've got to pay this today and everything's urgent, urgent, urgent. I mean, that's social engineering 101 again. I have to yep. say that again. but doesn't give you time to think about it. You, you just got to respond where if you slow down a little bit, you might question. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, Slowing yeah, the process down. Oh, we talk about that around the office often. When it comes to risk, slow it down mm-hmm. and uh, make sure that you're, you're going to do the right thing before you do it. So. Right. You got to have the change in those procedures and not trusting email like we used to is is the start of that right. start of that process. So who in who do you recommend does a responsibility really lie with in terms of starting an initiative in a company? So if you know you're listening today and you're feeling like we can do a better job of this, but you're not really sure who the champion needs to be for this in the organization, who do you recommend should be the one that really starts the initiative, Kyle? Yeah, I would start with the uh, you know whether it's a CEO or the business owners, um, it's got to start from the top. Okay, and they need to work with the team and identify any of these situations where you know information is maybe being asked to be changed via email, mm-hmm. and you know is there a risk and just go ahead and blanketly doing that. Um, and related to payment processing, uh, definitely have the rules in place in that. You know, empower your folks that if I ever, you know, try to force you into doing this sure. and not following procedure, you know, you have every right to not send, you know, whatever it is that I'm asking you to do. And it's most likely not going to be me. So you, you create the ground rules of, you know, what it is that works for your organization. Maybe it's you've got to come in and see the whites of my eyes before right. you send out a payment and you get my wet signature or whatever it is that works for you. But it's got to be something that ensures that that payment is is going to be made on the the pretense of that it's legitimate, right? right? That it's not, you know, a vendor. So following up with the vendor might be one of your procedures if it's a request from the top to send out money from the CFO or something like that because they're on the golf course and can't be reached. 
you know, you just got to look at all those scenarios and say that that yep. doesn't matter. I'm sorry, you're playing golf. This is our procedure, and if if I can't get the confirmation that this is really something I should do, then then I'm not going to do it until I can appropriately follow the procedure. Right. So that's so, the key is, you know, starting at the top and then empowering your people to slow the process down. Right. Great advice. Great advice. So Kyle, you have mentioned to me before a tool that you have to help guard against check fraud in particular. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, the product is often known as positive pay. Okay. Um, and how that solution works is that uh, the business provides to us uh, a file that essentially has the different components that are on a check, okay. right? So right. the date it was issued, uh, who it's payable to, and the dollar amount. And so we can use those uh, items when the check clears to verify that that check was actually issued. Mm-hmm. And because we have the name of who it was issued to, we can verify whether or not uh, with a certain amount of confidence that it really was made out to Sherry Welsh. And that's who it came in made out to, that somebody didn't like whitewash it and change it. Right. Right. So that's one tactic that uh, fraudsters will do is they'll try to uh, snag an, a, a, a payment and then change it and go cash it themselves. Yep. Right. But another is, is that they'll just create fraudulent checks altogether. And yeah. so, you know, if those ever hit the business account, they'll see uh, they'll see that and they can work those. Those would be exceptions. And so the business would get an alert that they have exceptions and they can verify. And if it's not something that they issued, it just gets returned and no money lost. Right. So yes. that, that's the key with that. And it also works with ACH too. So like if you have an account where... Uh, funds are coming into or being taken from your 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 account electronically via ACH, so it's a debit to your account. But you only do that with certain companies. You can set that up so that when those debits hit, it's fine. But if it's not, then you'll get an exception if it's like somebody else trying to debit your account fraudulently. Um, so that's another great tool. So it can be used both for that's checks wonderful. as well as on the electronic side on the ACH piece. So great. definitely another fraud prevention tool that can be used. Good. C- called positive pay. Positive pay. Yep. You talk about a scenario too. You mentioned this where um, you're getting an email from the vendor. It looks like it's from the vendor and everything seems right, but it it maybe really isn't from the vendor. So how do you unravel that? Well, how, um, how do you get to know that it's really a fishing expedition and you've gotten you've gotten trapped? It, it's getting trickier because, um, like I mentioned earlier, we're seeing more and more with people migrating to the to the web to the internet. So using G Suite or using Office three sixty five. So, like we talked at the beginning. You know, in the beginning, years ago, it was everything was within the four walls of your organization. Now, everything's so connected and so fast paced um, and everybody wants to, uh, you know, have less maybe uh, responsibility for their infrastructure and it's just easier to let somebody else manage that, um, you know, like the Office 365 for Microsoft. Um, but now those systems are accessible wherever you go in the world. Right, you just got to jump on a, a internet attached computer. That's right. Go to the website, and you get the login right there. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, one of the main issues why I think this business email compromise is becoming uh, so big these days is because uh, people are only using username and password. 
they're not getting that second, they're not implementing that second verification process, right? And that uh, usually comes in a form of like a, a tax where you got six digits that you got to add and it's a one-time use. And that additional um, factor can save you a lot of headaches because if you don't, um, you could just be fished, right? Yeah. Where so that, okay, that's where a- if if they you know you get something from somebody looking like um, it's an attachment, but it's going to go to your office three sixty five mm-hmm. or theirs, you know, and you got to put your credentials in. It presents that screen, but it's not really Microsoft's. It's it's right. their make look like right. And as right. soon as you put your credentials in there, they've Gone. stolen. Them. Yep. And now they're in your email. Uh, they generally set up forwarding rules so they don't have to keep logging into your email. So everything that you send and receive, they get a copy of behind the scenes unbeknownst to you. And then they log in when they want to strike. But it's after they've been watching you for a while and can figure out like who you communicate with, how you communicate. Or maybe they use that, your, ac- your access to your email to infect somebody else that gives them the ability then to do what they want to do. So, oh my gosh. So if you're, if you're the business and you feel that your email has been compromised like that, I mean, what do you do? How do you handle that? Well, the key is first recognizing that you've been compromised, right? So if, if yeah. you ever hear, you know, uh, like in using myself as an example or, or the bank, you know, if, if somebody in my organization allegedly sent a customer, let's say an email, right. and, then, and then the customer did something um, based on that email. And then later it comes back to the bank and saying, um, hey, we got this email. And the person says, no, I didn't send you that email. And you need to investigate it because if it truly sure. did come from that email, from that person, it may be that there's something that uh, – um, is is a miss there, right? Right. Now, we're not on Office 365, so we don't really have that challenge yet today, but um, but a lot of organizations have. And so if, if you're getting reports back to your organization that somebody sent something from your organization and that person's saying, no, they didn't, but it's proven that it really did come from that inbox, that means you might have a compromise in... First off, you might want to change, have that person change their their username and password, especially if you're using just single factor authentication. Right. So follow up on everything. Yeah. That you hear that maybe looks suspicious or seems a mess. Yeah. Yeah. It's worth checking out. Yep. So um, you talk about um, targeted email, like as though your an email might be targeted at a specific person. So how do the bad guys figure out? Who to target? How do they know who to get to and who might be the right one for them to tap? I mean, is this pretty nefarious how they go about this? Or um, It's not as difficult as you might think. I mean, uh, if you've never Googled yourself, you might want to start doing that. Um, but quite often, if you think about social media, we um, – Human nature is we share a lot and we share more than what we probably should. Um, we give up a lot of our own privacy because of our own actions. Um, all you got to do is go to Facebook and look at what people post in Facebook, right? You know, they'll tell you all about the vacation that they're going to take. <laughs> if, you know, through all those connections that you don't know who's friends with friends and all that kind of stuff, or if you didn't do your security appropriately, somebody might be seeing that that you don't want to see that. And I think, you know, 
you you look at LinkedIn, LinkedIn's the biz, business version of social media, right? And mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people do that. You're mm-hmm. you're in a space where people probably use LinkedIn all the time oh, to try yeah. to promote I mean, themselves in or in the executive or, search business for sure. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm I'm just thinking about that. I think yeah, I, I don't know how crafty and clever they are, but I suppose if you were trying to compromise a, a company's financial information and you went there and discovered someone who was fairly new to the accounting department. Yep. Especially if you've been monitoring them for a while. Or right. who who is the accounting person or who do they report to them? Like who would tell them what to do? And, right. And a lot of that's right there on LinkedIn. If you figure you can out map on out the Facebook whole that that person is on a vacation or the CFO's on a vacation. I mean, there's a whole, you, you're absolutely right. If yep. they want to be that crafty, yep. they can certainly pull that information together. And so, you know, your CFO's in Tahiti for two weeks and you get this email I, I ran out of time. I needed to get these gift cards to blah, 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 whatever right. it is. Holy smokes. It seems legit because they are gone. Right. And really, they've just crafted this whole story based on what they've been able to find. Right. Wow. And Kyle, if they're back in their, scary. back to the email, the business email compromise, if they're in your email, right. what else, if it's Office 365, what access does that get that person? We, we've been talking about Ugh. email, but can they see like a corporate calendar that? Right. They know who's on vacation and what. Right. I mean, what information is there available to them within that space with that login? It's all right there. So you really have to work hand in hand mm-hmm. with your information security department. Yeah, or a vendor. Some, a lot of small th- businesses don't have that, right? But they have right. a vendor that they're working with that maybe help them get to Office 365. So my advice today would be make sure that you you know get with them if you're not using some sort of multi-factor with your a G Suite Office 365 environment. Get with your IT folks and in uh, figure out how figure to do out, that. Yeah, and, and you're really big on that whole dual factor authentication thing. That texting, that fi- something else besides username and password. Yep, definitely. You think that's a big component of? Oh, it's it's huge. And whether the because we're not seeing that a com- lot yet. You know, whether they were compromised through a phishing email at some point, or if uh, the person used the same user ID or same password. Um, at the place they buy their shoes online. You know, people, because of everything want needing a password, we kind of get a password fatigue, right? Oh, and so we use the sure. same password all over the place. Next thing you know, you know, where you bought your shoes from got compromised and your credentials were stolen there. And they figured out that you bank at whatever institution and they just, they'll try those credentials there to see if, if you're using the same credentials where you bought your shoes. And if yep. they did, now all of a sudden they're in your account. Yep. So there's there's all these different methods that yes. can be kind of scary. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So uh, suffice it to say that uh, fraudulent communication is a big issue. You have tackled it pretty head on in your role there at Mercantile and helped a lot of companies really navigate through issues. Right. Dealing with that. I'm sure you've untangled a lot of messes. Yeah. And it's having these conversations. And um, yeah, the ones that really sting are the ones that took too long for us to know about. Yeah. um, To where we just can't get the money back for them. And it's like, what number is too big? Right. um, Right. That 
would really put you in a bad way as an organization. You know, last thing we want to see is anybody to go out of business because of something like this. So it's an education thing. It um, sure is. It's an education that we're trying to get out to our customers, uh, to, to any business, really. I don't care if they're our customers or somebody else's, um, in, as well as getting uh, the information out that you need to then train your staff, that right. you need to make your staff aware of these situations. So yeah, I mentioned the procedural part of it, but then you need to have that ongoing uh, security awareness training. And so if you're not doing that, that'd be another big one that I would uh, highly recommend that organizations do. And then probably lastly, um, you know, if you got an IT group, whether it's your internal or you use a third party to help you with that, find somebody independent from that uh, from those groups to come in and just do a security health check for you. Um, maybe on an annual or biannual based on, you know, how costly that may or may not be for you. Um, but just think of the peace of mind that you might get from understanding, you know, like, where are you? Where, where Maybe you get A's or B's in a lot of places, but here's one area that you got like a D or maybe an F. And, right. And you could, uh, you know, work on trying to change that to improve your security posture. Right. So takeaways, as I hear you say it, kind of fall into a couple of camps. One, issue if you're compromised. Um, if you've never been, that that's awesome. It, it, it also means you're probably, it's going to happen to you someday. I mean, it's likely it's going to happen to you someday, no matter how good your security is, because these criminals are just getting more and more clever every day. So I hear you saying the number one thing is speed. When you recognize a compromise some way with fraudulent communications, Speed is of the essence, right? Move quickly, move swiftly. Call your financial institution, call your IT services provider or your IT leader and get it handled. Yep. But over the top of that, really where you want to begin is putting a policy, putting policies and procedures and programs in place and do it as a leadership team because it's bigger than the CFO or the CIO or the controller or the accounts payable department. Yep, exactly. It's got to involve all of them and so much more. Yep, it's a culture. It's, yes. you, know, you think of your corporate culture, but there's actually a security culture too. Yeah. And so yeah. what you're doing is you're you're building your security culture and that mindset that everybody in the organization needs to be in tune with. And so yeah. as you get new people on staff, you know, you got to bring them up to speed. Right. It's more than policies too. and procedures in the employee handbook and here's how we do it. It's got to be ongoing training. Yes. And reinforcing all the time. And then, of course, as the world changes and IT and security issues change, responses will change, obviously, on the part of the business as well. So staying on top of that right. with a provider that has good information. And you at Mercantile have great information on how to do this. I know you've done seminars all over West Michigan helping people understand this. But Kyle, if our listeners today are saying, this is good stuff, but I'd love to chat with Kyle on the side. He's got some great ideas. I'd like to learn a little bit more. How can our listeners get in touch with you, Kyle, to learn more about how you handle things at Mercantile? Yeah, I think uh, you know, just reach out to um, somebody in our organization, uh, and they'll they'll get us uh, connected up. Okay, good. So they can find you on the Mercantile website, and yep. yes, and you work in the Wyoming, Wyoming location, location but that's yep. uh, um, not as. Uh, 
relevant, but uh, yeah, just you know, call into our our main number and ask for me, and they'll they'll get you connected over to me. I'll put you right through. Yep. Wonderful, bet. wonderful. So again, we're here today with Kyle Cunnan. Kyle is the senior vice president and information security officer for Mercantile Bank in Grand Rapids, sharing some great information on that number one cybersecurity issue, which we know is fraudulent communications. And uh, Kyle, we thank you for being here today. We feel better prepared to handle this. Thanks to our conversation today. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to The Welsh Wire. We hope you'll join us for the next episode. For more information, visit welshandassociates.net.